Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm. Welcome back, gentlemen, to this great podcast, post-Gavin Rubenstein podcast, which was our longest podcast in the history since MDA was launched. Yeah. Did, we, did many people watch that? Because of the video, numbers. right? Huge numbers. So we had close to 8,000 people watch it in the last seven days. Yes. Which is huge. So we did the video side, which was Could that have been Gavin watching it multiple times himself? Quite possibly, Gav. It probably was. And, and his Instagram followers. <laughs> On you, Gav. No, we love Gav. That was, that was inspiring. I was inspired at the interview, and I know so many people listened to it. So there was two versions. Obviously, the the group of um, audio listeners that we send out weekly, they received it on Wednesday morning, and then we broke it up into four parts and posted it on Tom's Facebook. So if you haven't seen it, guys, jump back on, download it from iTunes, the normal audio, or if you want to watch the video of us live doing the the live stream, jump onto Tom's Facebook page, and you can watch the four-part interview there. Okay. Correct. That's good. Yeah. I think we're going to end up uh, with uh, 25,000 views of um, that interview. And why wouldn't you, when you look at a person at 27, 28, writing $3 million a year in a marketplace against people that have been in the business two to three decades, anyone that watched that must have walked away having belief that anything's possible. Having four holidays a year, too, balanced. Fit, yeah. gym every morning, 5am. There are a number of kind of sub-themes for me. I mean, one was the guy's a genius writing $3 million. That's awesome and inspiring. But, you know, the fact that he was living a balanced life, he was having fun as well, he was going to the gym looking after his balance, he'd built a team and it felt like there was a good relationship within the team. There are a number of things to take away from that one. Yeah. So Q&A Wednesday today. Q&A. And um, was it once Q&A Tuesday, Troy? Do we change days or...? Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I've got no response. I must, John. I must say, I won't, I, and I won't, I won't, and I won't, and I won't bring it up. But I've got a power pack that a power deck that I had to go through, um, and um, it was interesting because the the photo, the center stage photo, had John on one side, me on the other, and Troy Malcolm wham bang in the Ooh, center. Oh, I can see that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice photo. Yeah. Thank God for Photoshop. Those that was at Eric. That was at Eric two years ago. Yeah. Anyway, while we're talking about that, I've, we've just been in the early stages of uh, locking in the speakers for Eric 2017. All you've got to do is put in your diaries now, 28th and 29th of May. And I know that last year's Eric, people always walked away and said, well, you know, that'll be the one that will always be remembered as the best one. But there's a team out there, John, that's working very hard, which I think is going to deliver a better product than 2016. That's what we want to do every year, isn't it? Mm. And, and I think we've been able to do that last year, clearly. I'm just looking here at the uh, stats. So this is our podcast. So this is not Eric, or is this podcast, This Troy? is the podcast. Podcast. Thousand. So the, the number one city for listeners is Brisbane. Yeah. Well done, Brisbane, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. Followed by Sydney and Melbourne. They're all kind of around a 1,000, roughly. Then Perth, all our good friends in Perth. Then Auckland, New Zealand. Okay, so it's interesting to see where people are listening I to I mean, us. The, the numbers, uh, John and Troy, is we are 8,000 weekly listeners. And whilst it's not uh, the numbers that Anthony Robbins has got, the fact that there's 8,000 real estate agents, predominantly in Australia and in New Zealand, <laughs> that tune in says to me that there's a thirst of knowledge uh, in this industry um, for people to get content. Unfortunately, they ended up with us doing it, but I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I'm looking here at the top countries because, of course, it's not just... Well, not of course. I didn't actually realise how far we go. But um, in Indonesia, there's 22 people listening to us. So when we jibber-jabber about the NRL and the swans and the roosters, and the they have no idea. I feel no. terrible. So we were wasting uh, okay. all, all their time Troy, talking about can you the get football? the research and development department having a look at top sports Indonesia, what other yeah. Papua New Guinea? Yeah, we yeah, got, we've got, got Canada, Canada here. We got a United States, United Kingdom. So it's great to have people from the UK listening. So yeah, that's North, cool. North America, we've got two percent of our audience, so close to five hundred people listening on well, a weekly basis. Well, thank you very much. They're saying, what are those crazy Aussies talking about? Exactly. And what about the UK, Troy? Because I know that I'm getting uh, uh, messages from... Is that... That falls under Europe, yeah? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Troy, also, is there any possibility that amongst all these listeners, there is people in Greece listening to the podcast? <laughs> is, is, there, is there a possibility that there could be one Not according to this list. <laughs> Not according to this list, but we hope so. If you know someone in Greece that's in real estate, <laughs> just tell them to jump on. I think that's a great idea. Okay. John, so what Troy, are we talking about today? I've got this. Here's a question, and I did work in an early part of my life for an office that did spend one or two years uh, being trained by Genman um, trainers, mm-hmm. Genman-approved systems. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at this question, it actually reminded me of what we were taught back then in the 80s, and that is when you're a buyer, three questions that you should ask the agent representing a Um, the vendor. And this is a question that's come in. Here it is. How do you handle the following questions from a buyer? Why is the vendor selling? How long has the property been on the market? What will the vendor accept? Valid questions. I think um, some buyers would ask those questions. I think a lot of buyers do ask the questions. What was the first one? Why is the vendor selling? Well, look, my view is as an agent, when you list a property, Tom, you, you have to have the discussions with a vendor around a whole range of activities, around the price that you're quoting, the times you're going to open it for inspection. And that should be one of them is when asked, Tom, um, what would you like me to say? With now, the reason I, I pose this question, if you're moving because you're moving interstate, it's probably not overly controversial. If you're getting divorced, however, that could be quite sensitive and something that's quite private. So you need, I think you need to seek instruction from the vendor. Um, if it is something that's uncomfortable, I think you can just say personal reasons. You, you sort of just generalise and move on. Mm-hmm. But I'm a great believer, Troy, in transparency, as you know, and I think that unless there is reason not to be upfront and honest with someone, you say, vendor's got a job transfer. Vendor's, you know, needs a bigger home. They're moving up. They've had a couple of kids and they're at the age they need a bigger backyard or whatever. I think that honesty and transparency is the best but you do need to be careful if it's a sensitive subject. You also need to be make sure that whatever you're using with buyers, you make sure that obviously the vendor hasn't said something different to their mm. close community or neighbours. The worst thing is you can have a neighbour come through the property and say, oh, why is the vendor moving? Um, or why, is the, why are they selling? And then have a different story and then that questionable thing about real estate integrity and all that comes Well, that's through. why you need to run yeah, past the vendor run past them and be consistent. Front. Yes, I think that's important. What was the next one? It was... How long has the property been on the market? Well, the answer is how long it's been on the market is all you can say. And I think, in, you know, the funny thing nowadays, Tommy, is most people know that there are, there are plenty of companies now, RP Data on the house yeah. or something, they tell you how long it's been on the market anyway. So, you know, again, the, the right answer is always tell the truth. Yeah. If it's been on the market for two years, you just say it's been on the market two years. Well, look, this is the, the last question I think is the most important question because I think the way you handle this 
question uh, highly dictates a negotiation if it becomes a, a, a buyer that's going to buy it, and that is, what will the vendor accept? Well, the only, I, th I think the only thing you can say there, there's, it's either auction or private treaty. Well, let's make the assumption, John, it's a private treaty property it's and it's private. on the market at 800. And they, I'd yeah. say it's for sale at 800, it can be bought for 800 today. And if someone says, well, will they take less? We say, well, the vendors instructed us, they're prepared to take 800,000. Um, you know, we're happy to discuss if an offer comes in, we'll discuss the offer with the client. We're obliged to do that anyway. But I don't think you want to give away any of your negotiation power in the opening stance. I think that your job is to protect the vendor's price or maximise the vendor's price. And if someone says, what will they take? I don't see why you'd be offering a, a figure less than the asking price. If someone says in that instance, Tom, well, look, I've only got 780, is it worthwhile my, worth my while pursuing it? I, again, I think you have to be honest. If you have an inkling that the vendor may look at an offer below asking price, I think you'd say, I can't guarantee anything, but mm. if I were you, I'd have a look at it and I'd come through, and if that's your top budget, you know, put it forward and, and we can have the discussion. If they're saying my budget's 720 and you know the vendor won't even entertain that, I think, again, transparency and honesty is say, Look, I think we should be looking for other properties at this point. The vendor feels, rightly, we believe that the property's worth, you know, around the asking price. Mm. So I think, yeah, just stick to the truth. Be be upfront and honest. Recognise in a negotiation that you do need to protect the vendor's price. So I think you just don't start giving away, you know. And a lot of people say, well, what's the best price, and what might they take? And then a lot of agents cave in. Well, you know, look, I, I, I think you'd have to be at least at 750. Well, all of a sudden, someone's saying, well, that's, a, that's an easy, they'll take 750. They start offering 720. So I think you've got, to be, you've got to be pretty firm and fair and just say, look, I know they'll take asking price. I can assure you of that. Um, other than that, we're on the market seeking, you know, the best, the best possible buyer in the market. Okay. Um, so thank you so much. We might, being Q&A Wednesday... If you don't mind, I'm going to move through a heap of other questions that have come in. Um, this is an interesting one. How do you differentiate between driving a nice car and one that's too fancy? Um, and I get the gist of it. I mean, if you rock up in a $250,000 car and park it outside the vendor's house, what's the message that you're sending mm. there? Or at the same time... If you've got a $20,000 car, is it telling people you're not successful? I think it's actually a really good question and, and interesting. I was talking to someone the other day about this, Troy, where someone I knew that was in the industry and they were driving, you know, sort of a Rolls-Royce Bentley type of vehicle, which I thought was, I personally felt was over the top. And, and I told them that because I think, you know, what you want to, you want to be a little bit under the radar. I think there's nothing wrong with, with you portraying that you're successful. Yep. As long as it's not done with arrogance and massive ego attached to it. So I think if you want to drive a nice quality car, and there's so many nowadays it's not funny, whether it's a Tesla or a Mercedes or a BMW or a Jaguar or whatever, I, I think that's all fine because our car is our office and I think having a success profile is fine. But you kind of get a gut feeling at what point that moves from success in an understated fashion to ostentatious where yeah. all of a sudden it's a Lamborghini, it's a Ferrari, it's a Bentley, it's a, it's a vehicle that I think is attention-grabbing. Uh, you know, I, I, there's no doubt some people would see that the better the car, the more successful they think they are and therefore they like to portray that message. But I think you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. You don't want to be showy. So, you know, I mean, nowadays the, the beauty with, you know, I mean, I, I'm 
for a fortunate driver, the very nice sort of Mercedes, which feels nice. But you know, the, every second car on the road's a Mercedes. It's not any. You love Mercedes, don't you, John? Because I remember always, you, you've been driving a Mercedes from the days when I started at the Wentworth Courier. So, how, how long have you been well, driving? Yeah, this? probably twenty, twenty odd years, twenty three, twenty four years. And I think I one. Well, I think they're beautiful cars. Two is I think they're at the understated end of the of the luxury spectrum. And I think there are a lot of other cars. You know, Maseratis and so forth mm. that are that are, I'm sure are beautiful cars, and if you're not in real estate and you don't have to see clients, or if you drive something on the weekend, that's probably fine. But if you're turning up meeting after meeting after meeting in a fancy pants car, I just kind of think it becomes a distraction. I don't want any reason to not select me, mm. and I think that if you turn up and you are a bit showy, you are going to put off maybe ten or twenty percent of the community. So, I, I, so I, I'm delighted they're asking the question because that says to me the questioner is aware that um, your image is important and you can actually go over the top with your image as well. But And I think, um, Troy, a clean car is important, isn't it? Critical. Yeah. A clean car, uh, whether it's a $70,000 car or a $170,000 car or a you know, $37,000 car, it says something about you. It says that you're disciplined, that you care. Yeah. Um, that it matters to you, that you'll probably look after the vendor's property with the same care that you look after. There's there's a lot of meaning in that. And there's no excuse nowadays, Tommy. Is you know it's not that hard because there's so many you know, crystal style car washes around that you can drive in and you know 20 minutes later your car's sparkling. I, I happen to have mine washed twice a week, and I have almost in my entire business life because I'm aware of what you've just said. That even when you don't have a nice car, you just just call it an ordinary car. It should be clean inside and out um, because that says a lot. And so I've always had, so nowadays I just have someone come into the office Mondays while I'm in management meetings, they're washing it, and then they come to my home Thursday nights. Same reason because I've kind of worked out that's about the right rhythm for me and if I get them washed Monday morning and Thursday nights, it's always kind of clean throughout the week. And uh, I think it's really critical. So I, you need to get, you know, to pay someone $30 to wash your car, Look, whatever the number is. The one thing I'll, I'll, I will say to the uh, person that's uh, asked the question is, and I'm probably on social media uh, more than both of you, and I look at a lot of the guys. What I don't like is agents on Facebook and Insta putting too many photos of their latest car. Mm. Because I think what it says to past clients, mm. to buyers, to sellers that are on there, um, it sends a message mm. that if I was a consumer, I'd think to myself, give me information that's good for me. Give me information that's going to help me understand the marketplace better, sell my house for more, but don't... Don't show off. Don't show off. There you go. Yeah. And when you think about it, 25, unfortunately, 25 to 50% of the reasons people come to us to sell their property are often negative. They've got their businesses struggling, they're going through a divorce, they've lost money. Um, and I think in that environment, again, being understated is critical. And I think you can be successful and you can appear somewhat successful and also be humble and understated. So most people get a gut feeling, you know, you look at a magazine, you flick over 40 pages, there's 40 cars, some of them are going to jump out as look at me, look at me. How clever am I? That's the one you don't want to drive in a business setting. If you want to do it at weekends out of town, that's up to you. And others are going to say, well, it's a beautiful car. It's, you know, it's an understated vehicle and it looks nice and it looks like it represents quality. Um, my, my brother who's in marketing advertising, he said to me, you've got to watch the Lexus drivers. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, 
they're usually incredibly successful and they have no ego attached because it's not the flashy car. And he said they're the ones that are going to be taking over the world, the Lexus drivers. So there you go. Wow. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it, when you can be successful with no ego. I think that was his, his point at the end of the day. He was sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it was really true that, you know, if, if you don't have to show your wealth or your success um, to others, that there's a lot of power in someone that's under the radar. A lot more power than someone constantly pushing themselves up there. Look well, at you've me, got look at me. me. You've, you've, you've raised an alarm <laughs> bell there because my wife drives a Lexus, not an expensive <laughs> one. But when you're talking about taking control, it's just got me, just got to be aware of these things. Good on you, Sula. You're on the right track. <laughs> All righty. Um, Troy. We might uh, do uh, three more questions next week, if that's yeah. all right, because it's been a long time since uh, Q&A Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It makes no difference. It's been it's that Q&A. long, it's changed days, see, without even knowing. So, uh, <laughs> guys, thank you. I want to thank realestate.com.au, um, our sponsor, who continue to support the real estate industry, they support the podcast, and uh, last week they were also supporting real estate. I was in Hobart, I was in Tassie. How did they say it? Lonnie and Lon... Hobart and Launceston, yeah, Lonnie. I always yeah. say it wrong. Um, and I, we were there with uh, realestate.com. They are, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're a commercial organisation that is there to make a profit for their shareholders, but they've gone a long way at adding value, and many would argue and say that some of the tools that they're giving real estate agents, no other websites in the world are doing. All right, look, there's no doubt REA Group is is at the top of the tree when it comes to global real estate websites. And look, I'm with you. As you know, I know that you work for a company, Associated News, associated with REA, and I'm on the board, and they're a sponsor of this podcast and Eric. And sometimes when people talk about stuff and there's that close connection, you can sometimes, you know, not get the right message. I mean, REA is a great business. I mean, I know you and I love working with them and, and their customer service of late has just gone through the roof. I think it's really outstanding, which maybe five to ten years ago it was less than outstanding, but they've really got it together under Tracy's stewardship and many others. So, yeah, it's good to have them on board. They're going to be supporting ARIC again this year. Um, and, in fact, I think we've got a sort of a turbocharged technology session that Nigel's yeah. going to run, which would yeah. be great. Yeah. So we're talking about the future trends in what's happening in uh, technology, it's going to impact buyers and sellers, and we have to be looking there nowadays. Yes, you know you can't be ignoring what's happening, you know, whether it's augmented reality or um, you know anything digital. It's just so critical. So that'll be a good session this year. Okay, guys, look forward to seeing you next week. See you then. See you guys.